Let's just pause for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, once again we come before your throne. Heavenly Father, we send our prayers and our supplications up to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is ministering for us in the Holy of Holies. Today, Heavenly Father, open our hearts. Give us a blessing of the Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father. Wake up the dry bones, Heavenly Father. Put flesh upon our hearts. Open our minds, Heavenly Father, to the acceptance of your word as we break bread today before you. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. The last two verses of Hebrews 6, 11 to 14. 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you. We must investigate our hearts and in awe consider the intent of the life of Jesus. Jesus was God who came to earth to be made flesh to live among us. We yet as sinners, God first chose to love us even before we knew of him. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, Titus 2.14. Understand that in their day, Bible writers had an inspired obsession to expose the deadly error of mingling together the sacred ways with the profane. Today we are today they are still warning us against certain influences, customs, ideas, new and old, which are detrimental to the true Christian way of life. The world is now in an incredible flux. Traditional views and values have been altered and reversed within short periods of time. Here today, gone tomorrow. There's no question as to who is pulling the strings. Satan is the itinerant puppeteer, pulling and directing the subtle ways and forces by design to destroy all through temptation. Under the hypnotic influences of these forces, Christian spiritual minds will be successfully and easily brainwashed. Our only safety is to beware of the clever camouflage of the enemy. In the scriptures, these assault weapons of Satan are referred to as simply the world. 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do not construe this as orders to leave the physical occupation of this world. 
They are merely warning signs. Jesus indicated that the things of this world would appear completely innocent in the eyes of men. He gave us an eternal principle in Luke sixteen fifteen. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the light of God. Christ is saying the most respected things in society will be the greatest enemy of the truth. 1 Corinthians 3.19 For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. True Christians will have to reject the lifestyles which will be considered acceptable and approved as being normal. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do we see that happening today? Is it all around us? Do you have any idea as to what is involved in taking the stand for truth? It is not easy going against the articulate, sincere opinions of popular national figures, which have the full support from great church systems, which will give more credence to things which are highly esteemed among men. The absorption of this creeping compromise will be so patently taken for granted that any deviation will be looked upon as stupid and irrational. Are you feeling stupid today? Are you feeling irrational? E.G. White continues to explain in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 289, when we reach the standard that the Lord would have us reach, worldlings will regard Seventh-day Adventists as odd, singular, we will be called straight-laced extremists. Satan has studied us and will subtly make sin appear unobjectionable. If possible, he will infiltrate the very camp of the saints. Revelations twelve seventeen. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan hates the law of God. He hates the true Sabbath. And most of all, guess what? He hates those who stand ready, upholding the validity of that law. E.G. White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, pages 608-609, Volume 5, Also, page 136, she says, I would say that we are living in a most solemn time. I was shown the startling fact that but a small portion of those who now profess the truth will be sanctified by it and be saved. Many will get above the simplicity of the work. They will conform to the world. They will cherish idols and become spiritually dead. How incredible, she says. The great majority of those who now rejoice in truth will give up their faith and be lost. They will be lost because they conform 
to the world. Another statement is even more specific. She says, the time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. Are you feeling tested today? The observance of the false Sabbath will be urged upon us. The contest between the commandments of God and the commandments of men shall begin. Those who have yielded to worldly demands will bow bow to the powers that be. They will do this rather than subject themselves to derision, insult, imprisonment, and possibly death. Not only will the majority be shaken out of the church, but they will also turn against former brethren and become bitter enemies of the truth. As the storm approaches a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. Great Controversy, page 608. The day is before us, friends, so you want to be a Christian in your heart. It is said there are costs to every important decision. Your hope is that the cost does not become regret. Says Ellen G. White, those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold preparing for the mark of the beast. Those who are distrustful of self, who are humbling themselves before God, purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. Testimonies for the Church, volume 5, page 216. The seal of God in the forehead is an analogy of how we are to think. You have decided now for or against. Now, what is the cost to that? These decisions will lead you to your works on behalf of God, producing the fruits of your Christian labor. Matthew seven eighteen to 20, 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you will know them. The suspicious devices of Satan will be brought into the special work of God at this time. Selected Messages, Book 2, page 21. The work of the enemy is not abrupt. It is a secret undermining of the stronghold of principles. It begins subtly in small manners. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 718. You might say that it is the beginning of the end of the Christian world as we used to know it. Sad, but true. There is a new buzzword today. I don't know if you've heard it. It is called relativistic religion. Have you heard that? No? Relativistic religion. Elders Digest in January proposed a concern about the many mission challenges related to secularism. 
enriching the minds of those controlled by contemporary relativism, this has become a huge task to overcome. What is this? Relativism. In a nutshell, it means that nothing can be taken at face value, particularly regarding how we should approach truth and consequently how we approach religion. Relativism. The line of relativistic thinking is this. What is true for you is not necessarily true for me. So, what may be right for one person may be wrong for another. Why? Because truth is relative. But you have to ask, to whom? To ourselves? I think this is a very clever way to live life without guilt. Isn't it? Well, this is my lifestyle, you see. Some say, and others think, being sincere to myself is what matters the most. But what if you're sincerely wrong? The Word of God clearly presents that what is right is right, what is wrong is wrong, truth matters. And without a doubt, it is not easy to communicate biblical truth today in a relevant way within this new context. Relativism as a prevailing attitude in contemporary society brings about a central value called tolerance. This is why tolerance is more valued today than truth. It's what you can put up with especially among our younger generations. This is why tolerance, they say, is a valued truth. You ever see our youngsters say, well, not to me, it doesn't matter to me, because I got a different way of looking at things. I guess that is why I am called a grumpy old man. (laughs) The problem is, that the meaning of the word tolerance has changed. It used to mean to us treating people with respect, with love, with dignity. Today it means that each idea is claimed to be equally valued and that we should accept every lifestyle. Hmm? Relativism, relativistic religion. God loves the sinner, but he certainly hates the sin. Sin exists in the church today, and God hates that. But the notice of it is scarcely touched upon for the fear of making enemies. Opposition has risen in the church to the plain speaking testimonies of present truth. Some cannot bear it. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, pages 283 and 284. Those who have too little courage to reprove wrong, or who through indolence or lack of interest make no effort to purify the family or the church of God. 
you are held accountable for the evil that may result from neglect of duty. We are just as responsible for evils that might have checked in others by exercise of parental or pastoral authority, as if the acts had been our own. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 578. The only way that evil can exist, my friends, is if good people stand by and do absolutely nothing. In all things, we must be constrained by the love of Jesus. Understand this. So as we speak, as we go forward, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be made perfect truly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We work with sola scriptura, Bible and Bible only. Can I get an amen? amen? Mrs. White sums up worldly encroachment upon the true church by saying, the abyss is ever widening between Christ and his people and lessening between them and the world. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 4, page 68, and adding, our only safety is to stand as God's peculiar people. We must not yield one inch to the customs and fashions of this degenerate age, but stand in moral independence, making no compromise with its corrupt and idolatrous practices. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 78, and she wrote that back when? Hmm? And here we are today. We've come a long way, baby, haven't we? If Mrs. White were alive today, what would she think about the compromise within the Adventist movement that she helped to organize? Save souls and prepare people for his kingdom was the intent. It is a tainted version of the vision she was given by divine inspiration, is it not? And they have even softened her position as to having been divinely inspired by her writings. Hmm. That's sad. I'm not picking upon any one group or people. Understand this, my friends. It is, as I understand it to be, the evolving of things prophetically speaking. What we see today within our movement for Christ is what is intended by our opposition. Understand this. To be our end. What I fear is for our younger people who are moving at such a fast pace, even running away, from the true church. And this is sad. Again, I will say, the Bible teaches us that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. We as Christians do follow God's example because we are compelled to do so. We embrace the person who is having problems with alcohol, with drugs, or whatever lifestyle is keeping them 
in sin. Not to judge. It is not my position of authority. It is way above my pay grade. The love of Christ constrains me from judgment, from me doing so. Alcoholics Anonymous provides an illustration and it applies here. Their analogy is this. A ball, I wish I had an example. A ball cannot bounce back until it hits bottom. Until a person realizes their addiction and hits their absolute bottom of life, repents and confesses, everything else is pointless. You have to realize it within yourself that enough is enough. Hello, everybody. My name is Larry. I have been a sinner all my life. Let me see. I have been sinless now for God only knows how long. The point is that we as a church are by God's design a hospital for all people. Because we are all broken. Everyone needs help whatever that need may be. Here is where I might start getting some people upset. Yes, we are to invite everyone into God's church. Christ meets us where we are at that moment of life. He nurtures us in the word. He lifts us up in the hope of our salvation. It is our duty to help all and invite all into our church to lead them to Christ's salvation. We embrace the sinner, but we must ask that they leave that sin at the door. Which brings to what is happening in our churches today. Great division of opinion as to what is acceptable to what is divine and holy has splintered into factions who interprets their standard, the biblical truth. And the question is, what is an abomination in the eyes of God? Remember, sola scriptura. Would worshiping another God, another creator, would that be an abomination? Would creating an idol out of wood or anything else be an abomination? Would cursing be an abomination? Would not respecting the true Sabbath be an abomination? Would disrespecting your mother and your father be an abomination? Would killing another person, how about that one? Would committing adultery be another? How about theft, stealing from another person, gossiping, lying against another? Would that be an abomination? How about coveting what another person has? How about eating unclean food? 
How about inappropriate dress? The temptation produced thereof just because someone wants to make a fashion statement. Jesus made it clear that men are easily led into wrong thinking. He said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 5, 27, 28. And what might be said of the woman or women who dress just a little provocatively? Now, I'm an old man, but I ain't dead yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And someone could say, ah, he's just a dirty old man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I say that any woman who dresses flirtatiously, and I will use a kind word here, also is guilty before God. And the second greatest commandment of Jesus would be violated here. Christ said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why would any woman wear clothing to cause her neighbor's husband to commit mental adultery and not be guilty of breaking the law of love? Would she, her neighbor, as herself, if she willfully did something to cause her neighbor's husband to sin against his wife and caused sin against God? Would that be true? We are dealing here with all actions that cause and affect others to sin, not just by dress. Moral issues are directly involved. We must counsel others to close every door of impropriety, whatever it may be. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. In a like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with the shame, facedness, and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh a woman professing godliness and good works. We are all held responsible, men and women. I do not have time to go into all the avenues of the creeping compromise today, but there sticks one which has been slowly coming and has now been unleashed upon society. In this, I pray for our children. I ask you, have you taken note of the astronomical rise same-sex affiliations have had in recent years? Loud voices, marches, marches and up uncompromising base, an uncompromising base has forced everyone's attention to the gay agenda. May I say that here? May I speak about this? <laughs> yeah. Any, anybody know here what group of individuals I'm talking about? Have you heard LGBTQ? They created their own Bible, attempting to bring credence to their lifestyle. Not only them, but many have tried to do this. 
The Bible in Revelations 22:19 says, "And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book." I don't think I'd want to go there. Getting back to it's okay to be gay. Let me roll back to Genesis and talk about creation. The sanctity of the marriage, one man, one woman. I will point out that even the creation of animals, both male and female, giving to their own kind, even the creation of plants, their seed, to their own kind. God's laws are perfect. Do you believe it? God's laws are perfect and were put into place for a reason. There are laws of structure for divine appointments for the church body in the books of Acts 6 and 1 Timothy. They talk, they're, taught, they're taught there for the elders, deacons, deaconesses, and the calling for bishops, preachers, and teachers. All must qualify for doing the good works of God. Qualify. Honesty, be full of the Holy Ghost, having wisdom and understanding of the Holy Scriptures. In 1 Timothy 3, the instruction continues, a bishop must be blameless, a husband of one, female, wife, not given to wine, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, and given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not knoweth how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? We must be diligent in policing who gets to have position in God's holy sanctuary. As the body of the church goes through its changes, and I am speaking of the entire Adventist movement, I ask again, what is an abomination to God? The gay movement, homosexuality, lesbianism, Can I keep going? What does the Bible say about it? Leviticus 18.22 Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is what? An abomination. This also applies to womankind, with womankind. Leviticus 20.13 tells the penalty for the crime. And their blood shall be Upon them. First Corinthians six, nine and nineteen. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. What does effeminate mean? Look it up nor abusers of themselves, of mankind, 
nor abusers of themselves. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? What does that tell you? This is not our body to do with as we would think it right to do. It is not the body that we want to continually give pleasure to in odd and unstructured ways. This is the temple of God. All of us are acquainted with the strong condemnation of sodomy which is woven throughout the Old Bible and the New Testament. God labeled it as one of the worst. Where's that word? Abominations. It is a sin that will utterly deprave and destroy. The name comes from the important city. And what city was that? Sodom. What was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? It's in the Bible. Read about it. Sodom, it is where Lot dwelled and was escorted out of that city by holy angels. Romans 1, 26, 27. Paul speaks here about this. Vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one towards another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. The reprobate minds which commit such things are worthy of death. Paul stated this in verse 32. And I wonder how the LGBTQ would rewrite Paul's verses in Romans 1, 25, 27, and 32. How do you think they approach that? Again, I say, God loves the sinner. And I am compelled to do as God asks and judge not. However, Matthew seven nineteen to 20, every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit cast into the fire. By their fruits you will know them, for all God's children share a place in this world, and we shall take them unto ourselves and pray for them. That is what we can do. Amen? Amen. I shall close. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come before you to break the bread of your word, Heavenly Father and distribute it amongst us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this privilege. In your Son's holy name, Jesus Christ, we give thanks. Amen.